We will now tell you what to do if a warning sounds when you are at home. If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. Take cover at once. Send your young children to the fallout room, then go quickly and turn off the gas and the electricity at the mains. Shut windows and draw curtains. Then go to your fallout room and stay there. You should now move yourself and your family to the safest area in your fallout room. That is, you should get inside your inner refuge and stay there. After two days, the danger from fallout will get less, but don't take any risks by contact with it. The longer you stay in your refuge, the better it will be for you. This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, Protect and Survive Avoiding a Cyber Attack. There was the incident with the Irish hospital last week. That is a game changer because somebody had remotely connected to deliver the malware payload. You're almost like waging war. It feels like actually the whole arms race sometimes. Hello, welcome to another podcast for the users of Scotland's GP health and IT systems. I'm Andrew McElhinney, a GP and member of SNUG, the Scottish National Users Group. Today, we're going to talk about cybersecurity. The audio clip we heard at the start was taken from the Protect and Survive public information film, produced in the 1970s, dealing with emergency planning for a nuclear war. It's a fascinating period piece and captures the raw fear of what a nuclear strike would be like. And if you ever get a chance to visit Scotland's secret bunker on the East Coast, I would recommend it as a really interesting glimpse into how seriously the threat of a nuclear attack has been taken since the Second World War. Now, of course, that awful threat does still exist. But thankfully, we aren't encouraged by the authorities anymore to build protective fallout shelters in our own houses through grimly ominous films and booklets. But what is happening, increasingly in this digital age, is that we are starting to experience increasingly frequent and serious attacks on the computer systems and networks that support vital aspects of our daily life, including our healthcare. Today, we're going to discuss what happened in Ireland recently, where a cyber attack on the Irish Health Service seriously affected healthcare provision across the whole of the country. The HSE says it's working to contain a very sophisticated human-operated ransomware attack on its IT systems. The attack is affecting both national and local health systems. It is what we call a kind of human-operated ransomware attack. Uh, where they would seek to get access to data and obviously, you know, seek a ransom for us. We've taken a precautionary measure to shut down a lot of our major systems to protect them. The issue has already led to significant disruption. The UL Hospitals Group says long delays are expected for patients attending services across its six hospitals in the Midwest. 
While in Dublin, the Rotunda Hospital has cancelled most of its outpatient visits. So our ability to um, get patients' history, our ability to look up patients' laboratory results um, are back to old-fashioned paper approaches. The HSE says the attack is focused on accessing data stored on central servers. They could either you know, be demanding a ransom demand uh, to release the information uh, back to the HSE, but some of the criminal gangs also demand a ransom to uh, prevent them from releasing the data onto the internet. Well, we know at this stage that it is a targeted attack, so either individual hospitals or health services or the HSE uh, as a whole have been deliberately targeted by hackers. Uh, and this makes it different to the WannaCry uh, ransomware attack in 2017 because that was more random uh, in, in its nature. Now, I understand this particular type of ransomware uh, is well known. It's been around since uh, May of last year. It's used very much by professional hackers, though, not by amateurs. Uh, it's also known to be very fast operating, so once it gets into systems, it's, it moves very, very quickly. It's also believed to be a double extortion form that not only encrypts the systems it's on, but also then can potentially steal that data that can then be used for a second form of extortion. So the process now for the HSE is to identify the extent of this infection, to contain it, put in place any measures that need uh, to be done to, to keep it uh, at bay. And then very slowly, the HSE and these organisations will have to one by one turn on systems, turn on computers, bring them back up in isolation before they can then all connect them back onto the network again. Uh, so it's likely to take several days I think to do all that. But it is taking way more than just a few days. Fortunately, a decryption key has now been obtained by HSE and they are in the process of rebuilding and restoring systems. But several weeks later, and there are still many cancelled hospital appointments and difficulties for clinicians accessing test results. And the overall cost of the attack is now estimated at upwards of 100 million euro. An Irish IT security expert outlined the potential financial benefits from these attacks. I work in cybersecurity as a consultant. I work on mostly security testing, but also incident response. Um, the gang that have started extorting the HSE by holding the data to ransom, um, encrypting everything, threatened to leak, they mightn't even have been the guys who broke in in the first place. They could have bought the access off another group or subcontracted the break-in to another group because um, there's a whole ecosystem there. and. They're opportunists. They looked for vulnerable entities in first world countries, such as Ireland. The gang that did the colonial pipeline hack in the US, in the last nine months, that group has made over 90 million US dollars in revenue. And that's from ransoms that are confirmed paid to their addresses. The estimates go between 350 million to a billion dollars in revenue for criminal gangs out of ransomware in 2020 alone. So like a lot of people do pay. Business is absolutely. So this is a really current example of how international gangs of criminals are targeting the systems you use both at home and at work every single day to try and make money. In 2017 in Scotland, we experienced a less severe attack in the NHS using the WannaCry ransomware. Now, fortunately, this was a lot less disruptive than the attack in Ireland but it still caused massive headaches. I spoke to Scott Jaffrey, who has been the head of ICT and eHealth in Forfali here in Scotland for many years, and we discussed the ongoing battle to maintain our cybersecurity and how it really does affect all of us. Hi, I'm Scott Jaffrey. I'm the Associate Director for Facilities and Infrastructure. My focus is digital and eHealth, and I look after pretty much everything 
to do with digital and e-health and IT uh, from kind of business as usual to new projects. We've got close links with innovation and close links with the central, uh, the CPMO program office uh, and delivering projects and programs across the organisation. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I kind of more or less understood what head of ICT and head of e-health was, but I couldn't get my head around the rest of it, you know. <laughs> no, I was planning to do an episode on cybersecurity. You were the first person I thought of um, because we both went through this um, cyber attack in, 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 what, 2017? And this WannaCry attack affected, I think, all the NHS boards. I think it was on a Friday. Can you remember how you felt that weekend? Uh, I almost felt, I'm going to say this, inevitable. Um, we were, you know, we'd, we'd, we had been hit a few times, but very, very minor, just a handful of PCs here, there and everywhere. This was the first one that actually threatened to kind of overwhelm us, shall we say, uh, in terms of everything that we were doing. Luckily, we had six months previous to that started the regime of patching the PCs. So there was actually only three practices affected at the end of the day. And they were ones, and that was because of, uh, before we put firewalls into the GP practices, they had a thing called access control lists. They hadn't been updated because they were that was originally looked after by a central agency in Scotland. That's now no longer the case. We've got firewalls and firepower in every practice now. So uh, we've seriously upped our game since then. But the threat hasn't gone away. The threat is there. Thankfully, I would say, and a lot largely, any of the threats that we face are indirect. So, uh, there's two types of threats for cybersecurity. There are uh, direct attacks. That's somebody targeting you directly, and and is wishing to do you harm deliberately. Uh, thankfully, we've not really seen any evidence of that yet anywhere in the NHS. Uh, there was the incident with the Irish hospital last week and that that feels like that is a game changer because somebody had come remotely connected using a, a connection into the actual hospital to deliver the malware payload, which is kind of code for uh, the viruses and all the rest of it. So that's that's a kind of game changer because it's the first real direct attack. Everything else that we've ever experienced has been indirect. It's because there's been something happening in a kind of global sense and we've just kind of experienced the fallout of that. And that's so, an indirect attack. So, I mean, it, it wasn't just a hospital, like it was the whole Irish health service, I think. You know, it was absolutely massive and really large-scale damaging every single core health service. And, and I just wondered, I mean, whereas with, with WannaCry, I got the impression it was people, I'm going to say people like me, I didn't do it, but, you know, clicking on an email link yeah. to allow access. Whereas with this, this cyber gang ha has managed to install, you know, a tool on the network. Is that, is that right? Yeah, they did that. So they, they delivered that, that, that kind of payload through an, a remote connection. So a, an allowed connection. So they used that. We've no detail in how they've done that. Uh, that's why we have to be very careful when we give out kind of remote access that we do it in a very trusted way. So in, in, in Fourth Valley, we've got a, a really good setup and we're reviewing it again this year. Uh, but, you know, we give out devices with certificates on them and then it's a point-to-point -point secure connection in. So, uh, but again, it's still a it's still a point of entry into the network and that's 
It's as if somebody actually gets through your defences, that's where you're left vulnerable. And yeah, I was just going to ask, where do you think the main vulnerabilities are? The main vulnerabilities are twofold. One's the indirect attack. So, uh, as I said, uh, that has just been hit with something that's been hit globally. So we got an attack which is reasonably quite well publicised on Christmas Eve, which has passed, which basically uh, affected 30,000 organisations across the the world, including all the security services that you can think of, like the FBI, the CIA, MI6, the whole shooting match, 30,000 organisations, including ourselves and SEPA in Scotland. Our our hack wasn't activated and we, we responded to it within about four hours and shut down four servers. However, unfortunately, another organisation in uh, in Scotland never and they experienced serious impact with that being activated. Again, that was indirect. So the the and, and since then we've actually and even this year we've had to patch our exchange servers within twenty four hours. Uh, because of other hacks that are going on worldwide. So the, the temperature's definitely raised round about cybersecurity. Uh, as I say, we know about the Irish one. But yeah, most of the vulnerabilities are actually covered these days. Uh, uh, but it is that you're, you're almost like waging war. It feels like actually the whole arms race sometimes is that, you know, we up our game and then the hackers up their game. Well, yeah, I mean, talk about OCGs, you know, which are topical at the moment, but this is, this is what, like a, an OCCG, Organised Cybercrime Group or whatever. Yeah. It sounds like an episode for Line of Duty. But, but, but I mean, reading up about this Conti stuff, you know, this, what is it, double extortion ransomware that it, 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 it holds access to the system, uh, but then it also steals information and, and threatens to put them online if you don't pay a ransom. Uh, horrible. It's horrible. Uh, thankfully, we've got the, it's more connected now than I think it's ever been. So we've got connections in with the National Cybercrime Unit that sits down in the kind of just outside London, uh, and and does the kind of watch. It basically sits there and watches the internet twenty four seven three six five. We've got our own Scottish Government Cybercrime Unit, and we've got our lo- own local. Uh, and also we've got a very good comms network across the kind of infrastructure leads in Scotland. So if we ever become aware of anything, so... And the WannaCry you brought up right at the start was an interesting one because that was like the starting point of, you know, we had a conference call in 2017 and all the infrastructure leads in there and sharing information and how we can help not only support each other but protect each other. So... That's something that's just kind of, it's never went away. It continues to grow and we're, 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 we're very well, we're, we're, we're in a really good place actually. But again, the threat is increasing and the threat is still there. It's ongoing. It's just about being aware of it and what you're clicking on. Uh, but we've got better tools than we ever had. But again, as I say, it's like an arms race. I believe they've got a decryption key now that lets them rebuild the systems, but it's going to cost them upwards of 100 million euro. You know, so a fantastic cost. And I'm just thinking in our practice, if, if we have a system failure and you've got to manage for a day with paper and, and try and rebuild things, that's a nightmare. So imagine doing it for a whole country. Yeah, and I think that I think that's to be fair. I think that the, certainly the government has upped its game round about because that realizes that you know the days of us all going back to paper records, and certainly within the health service, eh, 
is probably doable, but it would cripple us within, <laughs> as you say, days. Uh, it would make life very, very difficult, and it would be, the f you know, we may only have a day's fallout, but we may be three, four weeks actually trying to recover from it. So, you know, and that's a very minor uh, kind of that that would be a very minor outage if we had a major outage uh, that lasted three, four days, or even upwards of two or three weeks. Then we're in a completely different ball game, you know. It's so it is a, a kind of it's it doesn't keep me up at nights, but it certainly worries me occasionally when I think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So so let, let's let's see. What would your main messages, like really simple messages, be to system users like GPs, community hospital staff using NHS systems, you know, right now? Just follow the guidance. Just be just be. Before you before you click that button, just think twice. Is this is this legitimate? That's what I would think, and I would say that's beyond the work. I would say that's you know we, we we're aware of uh, hacks and scamming on people's phones or bank accounts. So it's not it goes beyond you know your business life. It goes into your personal life that people are getting hacks in every walk, every part of their life anymore because technology. You know, it's so much part of our entire lives now. You know, it's affecting people in a personal sense and a business sense. So just it's that kind of extra step to be cautious when you're when you're sharing, and also when you're sharing information, especially in social media, uh, because once it's once it's out there, it's out there. There's almost impossible to kind of backtrack. Yeah. No, that's all great advice. I mean, the phone is such a big thing now, isn't it? And I mean, we've seen, obviously, in the last year, how, how, how not just useful, but vital the sort of remote access to systems has been during the pandemic. And I know Fourth Valley's got a strict you know, policy for board-owned devices, and you've heard people like me trying to make the argument for bring your own device. But this is, this is clearly making your argument that this is, you know, risky. And, and I just wonder how much riskier are our own devices? Again, it's about what what you actually put on the, your own personal devices, and basically you have to be careful. When it's easy to just go, yes, I'll accept cookies, or yes, I'll accept the terms and conditions. Again, it's that whole caution thing, just about being thoughtful before you install software, or you think you're installing software from a legitimate. And just to go back to the actual previous one, and and it's an example we had last year during the COVID. Uh, and it, towards the end of the year, when they started the vaccination, so they released, they released the, the website uh, for for you know for registering yourself for to get a vaccination. Within five minutes, the hackers were phoning people asking for a fifty pound payment for the vaccination. <laughs> so, the the you know it's the speed of response of the people out there trying to make a fast buck as well, uh, and and so you just. Again, you also need to be very thoughtful when you're putting your kind of banking and financial information on personal devices. Although saying that, uh, the, the 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 banks I think are definitely up their game round about this stuff, especially with what we call two-factor authentication. So, you know, a, a message comes to your phone before they actually allow you access. It feels like an absolute pain sometimes, but it is ultimately all these things are there to try and protect you as an individual, whether it's your business or your personal life. Yeah, and I think we're all getting used to that a bit more with the Office 365. So so essentially, we're in a good place, but we can update operating systems, we, we can have antivirus software, but it's still, I imagine, the humans using it all that might give you the biggest headache. 
humans are the biggest risk, apart from yeah, you know, uh, human. Uh, so it's a, it's the the hackers out there, and they're all criminal. It's all about money. It's they, there is an element of that is political, but I'm not going to comment on that. But certainly, the vast vast majority is around is just about criminal, and it's it's about money. The biggest risk we've got internally is our own staff, either doing stuff inadvertently or not being cautious enough or basically allowing other people to access the networks, which is our biggest risk. Uh, and so that's why we've had to up our game. So we've we've just recently installed a tool called Seam, which is actually is is it's currently recording about nine and a half thousand events in our network a second. So it's, it's, it's basically recording every party activity that goes on. And that's all to allow us to ensure that we are any suspicious activity we're on top of within seconds. So it is flagged to us. And again, that's just, again, it goes back to my argument about we're just having, it's, the, it's a going back to the, I call it the cyber arms race. It's, it's, it's us just having it up our game. To, to make sure it was as protected as we can be. And I suppose just finally, I mean, there always has to be a balance between security and usability, but I think this kind of episode recently just makes your argument for security, you know, so well yeah. that we've really got to take it seriously. Listen, Scott, it's been really kind of you to talk. I mean, I hope you managed to get a break from thinking about all this stuff at some stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, believe me, there's enough distractions in IT that you don't think about all the time. There's, there's, there's plenty of other things to do and people to help and people to support and people to train. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely. I was just wondering if your dream house would be one where there were absolutely no computers. No, I, I, <laughs> actually, it's interesting you say that. You know, I've got, I've got three teenagers, so... There's not enough bandwidth in the world right now that can deal with their social media. But actually, in the house, I've actually I've got a setup, and a lot. There's quite a few of the IT guys have got it. So we basically everybody's got a kind of Sky router or firewall. But most of the IT guys have actually got a secondary firewall that does the wireless. That's separate to the Sky one or BT or whoever, whoever your provider is, because that means that you're protecting yourself not only from outside sources but you're actually protecting yourself for your provider as well so that you've got another level of of comfort and these things are they're not a lot of money when you consider most people are paying between 30 and 50 pound for their broadband a month it's not much more than that or even double the cost of that to put an hourly layer of protection in your own house because eh, it is it is important yeah no you've you've convinced me definitely uh. <laughs> Um, so, so did, one last thing, did, did I notice, are you doing a run in September? No, that was a run last September. <laughs> I'm out of date. No, um, I'm hoping to go personally. I'm hoping to go for my next Dan grade in my martial arts once we all get allowed back in a room and and can touch each other and throw each other and hit each other. So <laughs> that, 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 that helps me forget about the cyber stuff for a while as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks a million. Uh, keep fit, keep healthy and, uh, you know, keep all the good work going. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks to Scott for giving us some great tips. And I do hope they'll be useful. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe from wherever you found us as we continue to consider different aspects of how information technology supports healthcare. We'll speak to different experts, and your comments and suggestions are always welcome. And links to the Snug website and email can be found in the episode notes. 
along with links to relevant background to the Irish cyber attack and also the entire Protect and Survive film, which really is well worth a look. Thanks for listening. To finish, here's a short, updated version of Protect and Survive for 2021 with cybersecurity in mind. Bye. If you must spend all your spare time looking at screens, protect your email by using a strong and separate password. Install the latest software and app updates. Turn on two-factor authentication on your email. Secure smartphones and tablets with a screen lock. Always back up your most important data. Don't give your bank details to Nigerian princes. Avoid public Wi-Fi. And for goodness sake be very careful what your kids install on the laptop. Protect. And survive. Now get me a brandy. Now to give us a four minute warning When the rockets are on their way To give us time to panic And Christians time to pray So when you hear the sirens going Place your head between your thighs Whilst maintaining this posture You can make a final gesture And with a little muscular pressure You can kiss your ass goodbye So when the nukes come raining down It's great to be alive Well, World War Three can be such fun If you protect and survive Protect and survive Protect and survive